0: It's episode fifty-one of Grow Yourself Up. Delighted that you're back with us today. I'm joined on the podcast by Molly Cara May. Molly is an author, and um, I would really recommend if you're on a motherhood journey reading her book, which is called A Body Full of Stars. It's all about um, how she dealt with rage and motherhood, physical recovery after birth, with uh, many different challenges, growing herself up, looking at her own um, lineage like really a lovely, um, a wonderful memoir. And he has a bit more detail about Molly. Molly Carameh is an author of two books, a teacher and a holder of space. For more than 13 years, she's facilitated personal story workshops for hundreds of people across the globe. She's trained in somatic experiencing and focuses on where language and voice and the animal body meet each other. Her mission is to democratize expression and explore in good company, the healing alchemy between story and nervous system, She runs online workshops, in-person retreats, and keeps the fire lit for her membership community, The Loam. You can learn more about her work at www.mollycarome.com. She also has a handle on Instagram, which is Molly Carome, but she's not very active on Instagram. And actually, um, as part of the podcast, we also talk about Instagram, the pull of social media, how to manage that, the complexity of that dance. And there's a lot of discussion here about really getting to um, like the minutiae of how we actually change things. And when we're in um, like tricky situations with our kiddies, how do we actually move through that? I think you'll really um, resonate. There's a lot of richness and um, uh, rewarding, or sorry, re- not not rewarding, a lot of richness and um, honesty and vulnerability. Thank you so much to Molly. And I, um, I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's dive in. Thank you for taking the time to be here, Molly. I'm so glad to be here, Kat. Okay. Do you want to tell us a bit about your journey into motherhood and how it was? How it, tell us about your children. You know, we're going to have to touch on rage as well because if you wrote the book about it.
1: I, I love this question. I love actually sitting like in the pause before this question because I could so easily just jump into my rote answer, you know? And the question is always changed. My answer to the question is always changing. Yes, You know, because I have different perspective as I get older. And so I want to be in the honoring of that to really ask myself, like, what is my journey into motherhood? Like, what would I say about that now? You know, I'm 43. My kids are 10 and 6. I'm in a different life stage than I was when I wrote my book. And, um... In in some ways, I feel like I am being born out of a decade of uh, mm, what's the word? Like real challenge in my own physical and like psychosocial social adjustment to being a mother, um, my health. All of those pieces. I feel like I'm emerging into a new phase. So that feels exciting for me. And and what I can say is that, you know, my I have two siblings. My mother had like pretty easy pregnancies, pretty standard births. Um, never mentioned anything about postpartum. In some ways, I don't think it was really an option for her to even have a postpartum experience that was challenging because she was you know, living in foreign countries with little kids and didn't have family around, but she's also a different human than I am. So when I went into motherhood, when I went into getting pregnant, I was under the assumption of this will be fine. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't it be fine? I had never read any stories about it not being fine. I didn't, I just assumed it would be fine. And I was really sick in both of my pregnancies. you know throwing up multiple times a day for 9 months what i understand about that now which it feels important for me to say this to anyone who's listening is that that set me up for some pretty severe nutrient depletion that set me up for a mental health crisis for lack of a better word among other things right it was what it was part of the mix like i once my baby was born both of my births were super empowering. The first one had some like elements to it that were emergency, but they um but I but I left both of those experiences feeling empowered, which I realize is not the experience of many mothers. Yeah. Thank goodness I did because my pregnancy was difficult and my postpartum was really difficult. So I really had to resource myself by coming back to oh, but I birthing felt native for me and I was lucky my circumstances were lucky and so I that was that's like a little pool of cool water that I can rest in um postpartum was initially okay with both of my kids actually like um but my thyroid started to tank I start my nutrients were you know I was breastfeeding a lot and I was Everything was I I birthed two huge, healthy babies, even though I'd eaten nothing but oatmeal. And so I so I think a lot was taken from me.
0: Yeah. So you were very depleted.
1: I was very depleted. And and I and then I was sleep deprived. And then I was in the negotiation of I want to make sure I do everything perfectly for my baby, which, you know, I'm sure anyone listening understands. And so I will suffer so that my baby doesn't suffer. I will be up all night. I will be do. I I I couldn't. I didn't have enough resourcing to myself or even backbone to say like my baby will be okay, um, uh, if I take care of myself. And everyone around me, my husband, my parents, my friends, were saying, "You need to take care of yourself, and then your your baby will be fine." And I I couldn't do it. And I um, not really. And I think. I know now that that is because I didn't have a strong history of knowing how to take care of myself physically. I knew how to take care of myself in some ways. Yeah. Do you mean that you weren't aware of your needs or you didn't prioritize your needs or a combination? I knew my needs. I did not know how to prioritize them. You know, it's like old martyrdom stuff from the matrilineal lineage for sure. Like, I will suffer and let everyone know I'm suffering so that I don't know why, so that what, but that was there in me. And, and still, I mean, that is, that is, has faded and, and transmuted in major ways. But every once in a while it pops up and I go, wow, there that is, you know? Yeah. I just, I just didn't, um, I think a lot of it was also, a level of self-flagellation, you know? Like I'm not going to even though my le- I mean here's a funny example, even though my legs are dry, I'm not going to put lotion on my legs cuz why would I do that to take care of myself? You know, like like old stuff. So like too self-indulgent or or not important. Not important or or I am not important enough to do this for myself or to take care of myself in this way. Um and um, and, and a lot of it was about control. I, I'm going to do this how I want to do it for my child. I believe I need to do this 12-step process to get them to fall asleep. And that's the way I can control envi- my environment. And I needed a sense of control because what happened for me in my postpartum was that I my first child was was delivered via vacuum delivery because she was stuck in my birth canal and I pushed for 5 hours and so I ended up with urinary incontinence which at 34 was really shocking and really only in the last few years have I been able to face that and actually address it like sustainably because I was um it was too hard for me to look at and even be with and um and so I tried to control everything around me you know what my kids ate what I ate what um how they slept what kind of clothes they i mean all the things you know and yeah um and still i had a moment this morning with my daughter who is 10 and she's borrowing an ipad from my parents she does not own her own ipad all of her friends have their own ipads i have a real thing with technology and me too And she wanted to spend 10 minutes on it this morning. Yeah, she wanted to spend 10 minutes on this morning doing a research project on horses, right? So it's like, good, right? It's got value. Yeah, it has value, right? I hadn't created any boundaries around that. And I was trying to get breakfast ready. And I said, that's fine. And then she went in there and I could feel immediately prickly all over my body. Like, wait, what's happening? Normally in the morning, she plays with her sister and they're like playing on the swing and having a good time. And now she's isolated in her room and, you know, and then I just got so, and I went in there and I said, I need you to get off. Like, this is not, and then she's mad at me and because I haven't set a boundary. I haven't made it clear for her, you know, but there's an example of me. Um, I think control, I don't know, sometimes we, we, uh, in the larger conversation talk about control is a bad thing and obviously there we control for outcome for reasons from our own history however what i'm learning is the difference between controlling and setting boundaries that that create um containment and safety for everyone yeah you know and so for me that's different than like i'm controlling the situation it's like i'm creating a rhythm here so that everyone thrives <laughs> and we will fall out of our rhythm from time to time but the rhythm is important you know it's okay to seek containment and rhythm, you know oh, it's so important, Molly, and I really resonated with what you say about control um I've really
0: struggled with control as well around um lots of things and um and the way my children do things so that it's hygienic and so they're nice and clean and things like that and I've really had to also let them grow and um kind of just do their things, but you're absolutely right about the mm-hmm. difference between controlling and boundaries because that boundary helps us all feel like we are like somewhere that is safe for us. But but the controlling, I found controlling
1: for me has made so much more stress in my family. Have you found that as well? Absolutely. And that, um, my husband will come up to me sometimes and go, Are you breathing? And I'll say, why? And he'll say, I just am noticing that like you're not really breathing and as you're what doing whatever you're doing, you know? And um it does it it's i can see it now where where there will be a moment where i will latch into some sense of control and then suddenly everything that was peaceful turns everyone's high pitch and oh. like this morning my little one the second i'm i went she's six the second i went towards my older daughter's room and and i said you know what now i'm feeling prickly is what i said out loud and my little one went to the sink okay went to the sink where i had been scrubbing a dish and she got the scrubber and started scrubbing the dish oh, bless her. <laughs> <laughs> she was like and i'm laughing about it i'm laughing about it but i also you know I also, I also feel the like mother i don't even want to say guilt but just like um sadness around that like oh she is now trying to control her own little environment because she knows that i am feeling I'm starting to crawl out of my window of tolerance and she's like, Oh geez, I'll go do something that mom will like. I'm going to scrub the dish, you know, and she's six. And so, you know, there you are as a mother caught between these moments of like, Oh, my little one is trying to soothe herself and do something right because the older one is doing something quote wrong. And like, and you know, and here I am and I've created all of this. And then I have to say to myself, okay, okay, then, and I, I know people listening will relate to this, then you're in that place of, did I, am I the creator of all of this disharmony, right? <laughs> did it all begin with me, maybe? Um, and it's also okay. Like, it's okay. It's gonna, it's it's okay. They're all, they, I'm gonna wound both of my children to a certain degree, right? I'm not talking about, like, abuse. Um, and... It's their path, and I will repair with them, and I will do the things, and I will be flawed. And like, I can't, I will continue to mess up, but I will, I will also continue to be better in these situations, you know? And, and I feel like I have a lot more softness for myself now than I used to around that.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful to hear that. Um, and I know it will be very helpful for all the listeners. And I want to share back to you that I often have a dynamic with my daughters, similar something to that, where, um, One of them is having a lot more dysregulation at the moment and does a lot of things. And then I will have a reaction to that. And then my other twin will sometimes say, oh, mommy, she's having a tricky time or she's um, or will do something to soothe me. She sometimes tells me to calm down or to remember to breathe. And then this morning Mm -hmm. she said, should we push the wall together? Oh, (laughs) because I... Get them to push the wall when, when they're angry, oh, and to help them push yeah. into the neighbor's house. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I actually I feel like I'm gonna cry now because I'm like, oh my god, I'm such a terrible person <laughs> because I've got of all the things that I didn't want to do, I didn't want to create codependent children. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that when we draw out, we see actually care that they're caring for us, mm-hmm. and that yeah, that perfectionist thing of I've got to make them absolutely perfect and non-codependent and not see my like uh all my like wounds and everything or actually need them to parent my inner child in that moment that's too much i think we set ourselves up so much for like yeah it's too much
1: we can't do that basically because we can't break all the cycles and no so i love what you thank you i i love i love hearing that example about your girls you know and that um it's so tender and it's so um to me, it feels actually like a win in a lot of ways. I don't even know if like I like the, like the win-lose metaphor I'm using, but that your daughter even knows to push against the wall. You know, like that that's her thing in that moment, to say, should we do this, is beautiful, Yeah, you know? And I'm also
0: like, oh my God, you're parenting me. <laughs> but again, I have to step back from that and suit myself.
1: Yeah. Well, also... Here's the thing. I I'm, I keep seeing a pendulum in my mind as we're talking because I feel like what happened, and I'm just speaking from my own little context, right? And from what I've witnessed, but it feels like maybe, you know, I'm I'm in my mid-40s, so maybe my grandmother's era was, I'm speaking generally, was like, kids, just do your thing. I'll feed you. <laughs> Make sure you get to school and not worry about breaking any patterns, right? Yeah, And then our parents' generation maybe was a little more aware of, oh my gosh, okay, these children have feelings. <laughs> there may be, maybe they can share some of their feelings. And now we're in a place of hyper-focus on all the little minutia of these, this is what trauma is. This is how kids are traumatized. This is what, this is my own psychology. Oh no. And I, all of that is really good, but it feels like a major pendulum swing and it feels a little micro-focused, like a little bit intense to the point of it's sort of like when people track their sleep and then they get overwhelmed that they're not sleeping well, which makes them sleep more poorly, you know, because they're suddenly like, oh, no, I'm bad sleeper, even though they have this idea about it. And so I'm always in that place of wondering, okay, so... And my husband actually is a real grounding point for me around this. We balance each other out, but he often is, will say to me, it's going to be okay. Like it's so, it's actually going to be okay. This moment, (laughs) the, in general life, it's going to be okay. And, you know, um, I have to, my nervous system has to feel like it's going to be okay. So sometimes it doesn't, but I don't know, something about the, the real and like tiny, focus on all the little ways feels not the healthiest you know yeah it feels like we have to or at least our generation has to zoom out a little bit from that and say yes I know all these things now I know about you know feeding my kids nutrient-dense food and about like how to repair and meet their needs and all these things and sometimes I'm gonna fuck up yeah and sometimes they're gonna eat jello and like it's okay Yeah. And and actually, a lot of the time,
0: I mean, because sometimes if we think about looking at how many of us were raised, if I just think to myself, okay, I'm not an alcoholic, and I'm not hitting my children. Right. And I'm holding space for their feelings. That's giant. It's giant. Like everything else can just kind of run away in a way. Um, And I am also someone who needs to feel it's okay in their nervous system. And I've been experimenting with not even that it's going to be okay, that it is okay now. Yes. Like, even amidst the, I don't know, messy chaos. Yeah. Um, it's still okay now because so many signals from my body tell me all the time it's not okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's a bit of a divergence. Let's get back to your, um, your past potion story. <laughs> well,
1: I'll, well, I'll just say quickly I, I think that I don't think it's a divergence because being okay in the present moment is the only moment, right? So I think it's actually critical. It's like essential. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah. So the post... So I was not feeling okay during any part of my post <laughs> to make the bridge. Okayness was not an experience I had really much at all in my postpartum time because my body was um, felt out of my control. I couldn't heal it. I was overwhelmed with how to heal it. I was in a whole... Storm with my husband feeling like he didn't understand, and um, and how could he not understand? And I wanted him to like really work hard to understand. I was really disenchanted by men in general after giving birth. I felt like this is the gig, what like women do this and bur- grow these babies, birth these babies, and then no one cares about women, and in fact, their women are like stomped down. I, I, I was. I I couldn't believe it. I mean, I already knew it, but when I experienced it myself and and I live in a very egalitarian in all the ways kind of marriage. But I was just mad. And um I was really mad about not not being understood for my sacrifice. And I know now that that that's not only mine. Like that comes from my mother, that comes from my grandmother, and it just got really heightened for me. And um what I also know now is that I believe the level of sickness I had in my pregnancy was actually blasted me way too fast out of some of my own freeze in my nervous system. Uh. And it was too fast um, and it would just got out of control. And so I thought that by expressing my rage, by being vocal, by, by, sitting my husband down, literally saying like, we need to sit down and have this conversation and talk, talk, talking to him and explaining everything I felt about every little thing. um And like beating on my pillow at night and that kind of thing. I thought that that was me expressing my rage to quote, get it out. I did that a lot. I did it a lot. Um, Never with my children. You know, um, I mean, Not not with my babies. I've certainly been mad um, around my children since then. But like my my rage postpartum was not directed towards my children. It was directed towards my husband um, and and towards myself. It was internalized and towards anyone who was trying to. You know, one time my mom came in. I mean, I will never forget this. um, I was trying to put my daughter down for her nap, which was an epic thing all the time and my mom came into the door of my house without knocking she just came in and she was so excited because she like made some food or she'd done something she was coming to bring me something and she was like hello and like came in and I was like Whoa. I was like a dragon on her you know like <sighs> I almost had you let down to you know and I just watched her whole body wither In the fire of my dragonness, it was horrible, you know. And I, and um, that's how I was for a while. And I've had to do a lot of sitting in my own remorse, a lot of repair. Sometimes I over-identify with it and I take it on too much, and I don't necessarily remember the part times when I was um not that, which were a lot of other times too. Yeah, yeah. And my mom always, my mom's great at reflecting that to me because she was around a lot, and she's like, "You were." radiant a lot of the time you were like totally on top of it there was a lot there was there you were an incredible mother in that time like she reflects that to me that's so lovely and so i have to remember that it is so lovely yeah and um and also can i just ask you something i mean can i i think that what you said about coming out of freeze if you think
0: about coming out of freeze and if you've been in freeze for a lot of your life then to some extent you had to blast that high like it was just yeah, that was the way it had to be to come back to that like meddling point or somewhere
1: well it could i mean if i had if i it, if if i had been working on this prior to pregnancy and i had titrated it and i had done like little bits here and there i think i could have come out of that freeze differently but i went from i'm i went from like i'm pregnant to like blah, like i have no control of my body i didn't even i was sleeping on couches cuz we didn't have a place to live at that time i was i was I had no car. My husband and I shared a car and he had to take it to go. To, I mean, I was literally, um, I lost control of a lot of things all at once. And it it just blasted out of me. I mean, literally, I was vomiting. I mean, it, I was literally blasting it out of me. And so. But also the, the, what you just talked about, about the context from a safety point of view for our nervous
0: system, having all of those contexts change so much. Right. Like, how much must that have been triggering?
1: Yeah, all of that was triggering. And I I think even as you say it, I can feel my I can feel like some energy behind my eyes, like some tears behind my eyes, because I think all I wanted at that time was my husband to turn to me and say, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. I can see how hard this is, you know, and he for his own reasons, he couldn't he couldn't for a long time and can a little bit now, but I don't require it in the same way now. Like I don't actually require that from him anymore. Mm -hmm. And his resistance to, to offering that to me just created more grab on my end, you know, more like desperation for that. Yeah. And I had tons of friends and saying that to me, but it's like, I needed it from him for some reason. And, um, that that created a lot of that created a lot of damage in our partnership and um we're we're now in like a really beautiful renegotiation around all of that and i don't know there's so much to say there but i do wonder often about if we had been living communally with more people like there's i don't i don't know i think i had this idea that he was supposed to be i don't have this anymore he was supposed to be like me, <laughs> you know. He was supposed to like, yeah, reflect and like communicate and see me and do all these things with, that I do for other people. That's more of the way that I show my love. And, um, he was incredibly present in all the other ways. You know, he was, um, doing all the other things. That part not so much. And so, and I, and I, I couldn't let it go. You know. I think what you I think from what I hear clinically
0: that's a common experience. That's something also of my experience of wanting wanting my husband to be like me, basically. In
1: mm-hmm. the way
0: that, mm-hmm. Um just the way that I am. In in some ways I wanted him to be like my therapist, I think. Um in yes. terms of reflecting stuff back to me. I'm like, but why can't you be like this? And I'm like and well of course he hasn't done therapy training and he's not my therapist, but um there's a book and I don't know if you'll resonate with this. And I don't know if I've told you this before, but, um,
1: do you know that book, Three Women by Lisa Tadeo? Oh, yeah. Yes. You told, yes. I, okay. Talk to me about it. Where she says what
0: we want often from them, from the men in our lives is the stuff that we didn't get from our mother. And I'm not making any comment on your mother, but mm-hmm. for me, it was that kind of endless validation and mirroring. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, and I think that, a lot of us have to grow ourselves up from that to give ourselves that mm-hmm. endless validation and yeah. mirroring of like, "Oh my God, yeah. sweetheart, you've had such a tricky time. Like, what a fuck up this has been." Yeah. And I'm saying that to myself, but yeah, yeah. Um, And sometimes my husband does give it to me, but he doesn't. He doesn't have the depth of feeling that I have. Um, so it doesn't like, I don't know, his little feeling band is like that. <laughs> so he can't reflect things back to me. And also, I love what you said. One more thing to say to you about, there was a passage I was reading in your books about, in your book this morning about, um, I don't know if I'll be able to find it, but what you talked about living living in community and you talk about how we need other women around us. And I think you said that women are doorways Mm. or we need the doorways to their experiences and maybe I'll be able to find the passage and read it. But Mm. I think that's so beautiful because if we had the wildness of other women, Maybe our own experiences would be held better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You write very beautifully about
1: that. I can't find it right now. Yeah, I mean, I I feel that. I and I and I actually have here where I live, and also, you know, in places where I don't live, like old friends, a really strong and thick community of deep, deep, deep friendships that I could rest on and rely on honest friendships, you know, not superficial stuff. And it's, to me, it feels one of the things that that is the most nourishing and rich for me in friendship is when there can be um, honesty in all directions. So for a period of time, the women that I came into motherhood with, it was really helpful for us to gather and go, what the fuck? Like, oh my, oh my goodness, what is happening? And to just be with each other in that and go, yes, me too, me too, or yes, that, da-da-da-da, that was really important. And then there was, as time rolled on, we, a couple of us, started to recognize, oh, like, we're doing this thing that we used to do, which is we're coming together and we're airing our grievances and we're getting stuck in that, like we're we're sort of swirling in the whirlpool of like, let's talk about all the things we don't like about our partners or about the situation. And it took in one with one friend in particular, who I see all the time. I I said to her, and we, and she said back to me, like, let's make a different choice together. There's a lot we can. It's does it's not that we're putting that stuff aside. We we are gonna work there's other stuff there's some great stuff to talk about also or to be in conversation around let's try and catch each other when we go down the spiral cuz actually it's it's old and it's not it's maladaptive now actually we don't need this anymore and that has felt really good to me yeah
0: that's really beautiful yeah that's like
1: yeah that's like so much growing yourself up right there yeah yeah exactly Yes, here, here to all, to gathering with other women and, and also actually for the men, if, if the, if the partner is a man or for anyone who's partnered, you know, it's, it could be a woman for the partners who didn't birth the baby, aren't experiencing the physiological postpartum time to gather with other partners, because it's probably crazy making for them to be watching. I know that my husband felt so, much, so, um, out of control. So like he had he could do nothing. He was try he was offering so many things. He was trying to do all the right things. And I kept saying no to everything. And at some point he just he went into his own freeze, put his hands up in the air and just said, Okay, I can't like, I can't, you know, what am I supposed to do? What helped you switch out of that of kind of um of kind of allowing yourself, if he
0: was offering all these things, what helped you kind of just move that little bit to just make a different choice and say,
1: Honestly, what it, for, for me, it was getting to like a rock bottom situation. I was not, I mean, I was able to in small moments. Well, I was able to prioritize my work. No problem. So I would say, these are my working hours. You take the baby. I'm going to do this. But when it came to, I want to go on a walk and exercise or I want to just chill. Um, I wasn't. I would do that sometimes. Like I would go to the hot springs by my house when Yula was little in the mornings. So I I don't want to say that I never did that, but in terms of doing it sustainably, um, it it required me having like health crisis after health crisis to go. Okay, (laughs) now I actually don't have a choice, and I have to, I have to tend to this. Yeah. Oh, Mandy, that's really really powerful because I think what you say about work.
0: Um, I really also identify with that thing about if work, work in some ways is a resource mm-hmm. um, and it's an area where also that control, it is it's it is an area where it's much easier to have control and yeah. a sense of agency. So you're like, yes. oh, this is somewhere where my effort does make something, you know. Um, and so it's really hard to kind of prioritize things Because I think so many of us are woven with that productivity thing of if we can just produce a bit more, things will be good. And actually, unhooking from that, I'm in a long, long, long process of that sort of
1: unhooking. Yeah, Um, and I hear from what you're saying that you are too. I am, and it feels good. I will say. I mean, I am reflecting. I was reflecting this weekend. There are a number of things happening in my life, and and. To slash for the people around me that are very intense, and I, um, you know, when things like this happen, um, you you recalibrate, and I am, I was, I was recalibrating beforehand, but now it's just more ac- acute, and I am so clear about where I want to show up and what I want to show up for. And I'm so clear about not wanting to show up for anything that feels like fluff or feels, and I was never into fluff, but anything that feels like I should, I must, I, I just, there's, I'm not going to um, get into the water and swim in the the river flowing in the direction of let me do more. Let me make it bigger. Let me grow it bigger. Um, let me be everything to everyone let me not disappoint people. Like, I'm not going to get into that. Let me be on my phone all the time and, you know, post a thousand things. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I I won't. Um, And I have to be okay with the consequences of that because the consequences of that are, it's, you know, it affects probably my business. It affects, you know, who finds me. It affects m- most things professionally, but it, it actually enhances my, my lived life. Yeah and i feel so in my lived life like my life is very lived i am very tactile in my life and um and even and even as i watch my daughters you know um i i'm trying to model for them but also for myself what it looks like to to do nothing sometimes which which was an edge for me you know and when I first started doing it, they both looked at me and said, what are you doing? You know, when I would I would go, I'm just going to lie down and put my legs up against the wall. And my older daughter said, like, what's happening right now? I don't understand. <laughs> you know, or when I like, or when I lie on the couch and do nothing and everyone else is cleaning up, my kids are like, what? Why it's mom doing? You know, but if my husband lies on the couch and just chills and he PS cleans as much as anyone cleans. So it's not that he's not cleaning, but they don't even think twice about it. Cause he's actually really good at at pausing yeah. and resting for a bunch of reasons. There's, you know, I mean, he, you know, it's I don't know. I, I could go into like why that's easy. He has more access to that than I do. Um and so that feels like a feels important. And sometimes the back door of it is me having to say to myself, I'm doing this for me, but the back door into that is, but I really need to do it for my kids because I need, I need to show them that this is possible, um, for them, you know? Yeah. That, that modeling of rest. And also, um, I love what you say about the
0: consequences of like accepting the consequences. How do you, do you, do you have fear around that ever or you just trust? You're very good with trusting. I notice
1: I do trust. Um, however, Every once in a while I get a big blast of fear around oh jeez like am I am I just taking myself out am I taking myself out of the whole thing and then one day I'm going to want to you know do something and I won't be able to do it because I haven't been active on Instagram intensely yeah sometimes I have that fear of and then I um but but it but it's very quickly ameliorated by me saying well if that's the case and I can't teach online or I can't, you know, reach people beyond my town, okay, then I will just freaking put my hands in the dirt and I there are enough people in my town and I will, I don't mean like become a farmer. I mean, like literally put my hands in the soil where I live and the people that I live around and I will focus here. Yeah, I don't know. Like what else am I going to, you know? But nothing would be that dramatic. But I think that when you said... um.
0: I mean, you know, it would not be that you'd only get people in Montana just because you're not active on Instagram, but right, our fear tells us, us that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And when you were saying you your life is very lived, you very lived in, I, I'm having this debate a lot to myself, and I'm like, what else is there? If I'm if I'm having like eight million followers or something, and I'm doing that, mm-hmm. but I'm not present for my children at all because I'm frantic about the next thing that I'm going to post or blah 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 blah, which I do sometimes feel.
1: Yeah, um, totally
0: like what is the point the people that i'm actually trying to turn up for are not getting my attention
1: because i'm in some fantasy world doing some fantasy stuff frankly in a totally. way totally i mean and that that right there i feel um the more that i have disconnect and look let me just preface this by saying i understand the value of instagram i understand the value of social media i understand how it creates social movements how it, it there's so much positive right yeah and there is so much that is radically uh diminishing us, I believe, yeah, and diminishing our attention for all the things, like we can't even sit and listen to ourselves, we don't even know who we are because we can't we can't sit for five minutes and just be with with me, you know, I have to be like doing something or scrolling or turning it into a post, yes, or living a life and going, oh, this is a- it, there's so much um performance. I was thinking about this this morning. There's so much that I've done in the last few weeks that have been so, like, so many rituals and so much, so much that would be such good material for Instagram, right? And no one knows about it. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't need anyone to know about this. Or my my husband was telling me last night he has just started. No one listening to this audio on this audience knows him or is going to care about this. So he would be okay with me sharing this. But he's just started paragliding. Which is a big thing and it's dangerous, but he's very excited about it. And he was saying to me last night, he's like, I don't need anyone to know about this. I don't need to like tell my friends. I don't need to announce it. He said, it's so personal. He's flying essentially. He's flying. He's jumping off mountains and flying. And he said, I just, it is solely for my own delight. And he's like, I don't need to announce it. And, and it's so funny because when I look at our lives, I'm like, there's so much like we could anyone right could create like a whole profile I like this is my life my husband's paragliding and here I am ritualizing under the full moon with my babies and like my I mean I don't care I don't need to make that a performance I'm freaking living it and and that's what I want and what I noticed when I was more active and I was never super active on Instagram but when I was I noticed that my mind was turned towards every single moment is this can i take a picture of this what could i say about this how could i make this a philosophical thought and question and that's when i realized oh no 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 i i am not going to make feeding my kids breakfast and like I, I i that said this it's all art right like and we can make art of all of our lives i just didn't want to make art five posts a day on instagram for other people for people i don't know you know yeah. Do you do you see what I'm saying? Like, there's a it was it's like a faster, um, soundbitey thing. If I wanted to look at this life and say, okay, how can I write a book about this or make a show about this or, or really sit with it and like be in it and create something around it, to me that feels, without like a constant needing the audience to respond to me right away, that feels different. I
0: think it is different. I've been
1: really pondering um,
0: self extraction. Um, that's required. Mm. I listened to a podcast by Elizabeth D'Alto, I think it's her name. And um, she was talking about, she's going to take an Instagram, she's going to possibly sign off ever, but taking an Instagram and Facebook uh, break in the summer. Mm -hmm. And um, she was talking about how it requires so much self extraction. And I was like, wow, that's really true that, that I, that I can turn a nice patriarchy and I'm extracting from myself as if I'm a commodity. Mm -hmm. And, In my work, I consciously chose to do this because I want to share stories to break down stuff, but at some point, maybe there's a different way to do it, I don't exactly know, but um, um, I was really like, wow, that self-extraction is very costly, actually. It's so costly. Um, And really pondering that. One of the things I could go down like a massive rabbit hole with you about this year, but I'm not sure this is going to be. Yeah, okay, okay. I'm going to bring us back to something I was reading about in your book. Yes, um, about how I think that in some ways you were an early adopter of joy, you know, because recently we've all become much more attuned to how we need to focus on our joy. And you talk in this book about how you were much more giving, giving much more importance to suffering, and that you didn't really pay much attention to your joy. And how have you shifted that as you? um as you kind of grown yourself up and and like prioritized yourself in your own uh, life,
1: yeah. Um, you know what really helped me was when I started training in Somatic Experiencing, learning the science around basically the physiology of of joy or resourcing or what feels good, and knowing that I mean this blew me out of the water in a good way.
0: Knowing that,
1: um, or maybe invited me out of the water. So knowing that, oh, actually, that joy or resourcing place is essential for metabolizing whatever is suff- what, what, the suffering. And I, I hadn't known that. And when once I knew that, I went, okay, yes. Like this, I always thought it was a distraction or the people. And obviously, there's some people who are just living in their counter vortex or in their joy, and they're not actually looking at. That's different. But I, um, and that would be like toxic positivity or bypassing, but I, and I, I never liked that. As a kid, I remember saying to my mom, that person is smiling. She's not happy. Like she's pretending that everything is okay and it's not. When I was little, so I was always seeing that. I didn't like that. And that was, you know, um, so I had to grow myself up to understanding, oh, like there's a middle road here. And. Once I um I had this practice that I do with folks in my community, the Loam around it's we call it Ten Percent Tuesdays, and so every Tuesday people post their small micro shifts, like the ten percent shift they're making and whatever pattern they're they're curious about unraveling, and it's been so powerful for them. For it's powerful for me. I do it all the time in my own life. That like that focus on oh this is um was there's an example the other day what was it um I forget what it was but where i i was going down a familiar like it's this is always this way and then i um i remembered something that was also true and then suddenly i i felt like a flower opening it doesn't mean that this other thing wasn't also there but I don't, it has been a profound practice for me to, to sit in that and to really, even in the moment, sit back and watch what's happening and go, Oh my gosh, this is, this is my life. Yeah. It's so precious. This is my life. My daughter's melting down. The lunches aren't packed. (laughs) I'm hungry, but you know what? This is my life. I get to live my life
0: and it's so precious. Yeah. 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 And you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, i um, I love that practice of yours, and I think that um, that image that you had of the flower blooming—that we can bloom so much into. Because I sometimes do that. I'm like a bad this or a bad that, or I'm not, and and blooming into. Oh no, there's this over here that's actually blooming really well, um, and then that kind of pushes that other thing away a bit mm-hmm. and helps us color like in the fullness of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love that. So thank you because we're, we're trying over here to really, um, well, always in the, in like, in this podcast, I'm always trying to encourage the people to, to like focus on the joy, you know, cause everything, so many of us just focus on like, how can we make our children happy or how can we make the most entertaining holiday or how can we do this mm-hmm. without ever thinking about our own capacity or our own joy or what would be nice? What would make us a more joyful person to be with? Because that's actually what they want.
1: Yes. That's what they want and and that that's where the um I don't know that's such a good example about holidays because um I mean I could go down the rabbit hole there too but what I what really creates such e- like joy but also ease and settling for me is simplicity and minimalism. I love that. I I feel like super alive in that kind of container. And I'm not you Can go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, okay. If you want to tell us a story well, and not a, that isn't going to be the container for everyone. For some people, it's going to look different, right? But that's mine. And so, one of my most beloved—we um, celebrate Christmas. Christmases was when my kids were a couple years ago. My parents were here, but we didn't have a bunch of other family, which I would have welcomed to if we had a bunch of other family. But and we had just—we don't do like tons of presents. We do. We do. Obviously, we do presents, but. um we sort of have a rhythm around it. And there's like one thing that, that comes from like the, you know, magical elves and all that. And, um, it was really thoughtful and it was, everything was small and it wasn't like ripping up presents. So you forget what you got before. And it was so, um, it was so special. And even my mom said to me afterwards, she said, that was really incredible to watch that, you know, and that, and my kids—they don't know the difference. They're like, "Great! I'm so happy with the whatever the what, the this the five things I got." Um, and we were because we were in a space of like a a felt sense of abundance. Yeah, you know, like this is abundant. And let me tell you, I've been in other experiences where there's a lot of stuff around and nothing feels abundant. Like nothing about that feels abundant in my own system. And so. Um, well, it's never enough. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's really lovely. Listening to you and I feel like, oh, so peaceful. Mm. Um, and Molly, I'm conscious of the time now and your time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if, if, if you want to say something to a mom who was really struggling with rage right now, mm. um, and. And beating yourself up, because uh, there's so much shame still for um, having rage. And we know that perfectionism drives rage. So if we're more perfectionists, we're more likely to have rage. What what might you say to them?
1: Hmm. I'm really sitting with that. I mean, if I was with them in a room, you know, I would scooch closer, depending on what I was reading in their bodies about whether that was welcome or not, or maybe asking if I could scooch closer. And I think the first thing I would say is, like, your rage is valid. Like, of course, I would say of course over and over again, of course, of course you feel this way, of course you feel that way. That makes a lot of sense to me. And then I would say and, I wouldn't say but, but I would say and. This is yours to work with. Like, no one's going to fix this for you. No one's going to make it better for you. The circumstance is changing. You can't rely on. So this is yours. Like, you have to dance with this. Yeah. And you know, you see the consequences of it, right? Maybe in your family and whatever icky feeling you have inside of you is a signal that like you're ready to meet it differently. Like you're ready to, to have a different kind of relationship with it. And so what are the support systems you need in place to support you, to support yourself? Like who can you get on board, to support you in in developing a new relationship with that rage, you know, because it's, it's up to you. Thank you so much for that. That's such a rich, um, And um, powerful thing,
0: because I think that um, sometimes we get stuck just in the validating. Mm -hmm. And the validating alone is extremely powerful. And mostly what I hope is that people can validate themselves as well as having other people validate them. But then that next bit, Mm -hmm. which you really talked about and how we kind of alchemize that is just where there's so much richness. And also, I think they should read your book. Yeah. Because that I found that your book incredibly de-shaming. I'll say, because I was like stuck in a place of like, oh my God, I'm a monster or something. Mm. Um, And so I think that um, your memoir has got so much healing in it. That's like such a gift. Thank you. To the world. And I know that you are moving on and doing other things now, but Mm -hmm. still, that that, that remains. Thank you, Kath. Um, Thank you so much for joining me, Molly. It's been such a pleasure and a joy to be here with you. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, so good to be here with you. Take really good care. Yeah, you too. Okay.
0: have been listening to grow yourself up hosted by kath kunahan we'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered connected authentic and resilient living